0: Hello and welcome to the Sail Loot Podcast, where we share our adventures of the sea and help to achieve that cruising life that sets us free. I'm Teddy J, and this is Podcast Episode 28 with Pam Wall from PamWall.com.
1: No, I'm I'm really embarrassed to tell you that I had no idea what I was going to do.
0: No, that's great.
1: I'm, seriously, <laughs> I just knew where I wanted to do it.
0: Uh, it has been way too long and that's all I can really say. Uh, I can sit here and apologize. Uh, I- sit here and give you reasons and go into all sorts of personal stuff and whatever else. But if you really want to know what the heck has kind of been going on, uh, go back and listen to episode 25 where I sort of explained a lot of personal stuff that was going on with me. Uh, You know, some of that stuff still is going on. Some of that stuff is finalized, uh, which is good. Uh, I will say that um the house the other house whatever one of my houses is for sale i have moved i am living in my townhouse at the moment and um some crazy things have happened with the sale of that other house but uh in dealing with all of those things and negotiations and everything else i I guess that's kind of my excuse but uh there's no excuse for taking as long as it has for getting this episode out so of course thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you um It is October. I even missed the year uh, anniversary, actually. Uh, I I actually had to look back a second ago because I've been so caught up doing all sorts of other stuff and realized that October 2nd uh, was the first release of the first Sail Loot podcast. I have put out 27 podcasts in that year. So... I at least got one in every other week. I I guess sort of. Uh, <laughs> the schedule was a little crazy, but it's time for me to get back on a regular schedule. Time for me to start sending emails out, more emails out to the email rally, uh, and you know everything else. Time for me to start getting back into the sale loot swing of things. Let's put it that way. And uh, to do that, I am so happy to have this episode for you with Pam Wall. I had the awesome opportunity to talk to Pam Wall and Pam is just an amazing person with so many stories. She has been cruising and sailing for so long that it's... it's, it's crazy the names that she dropped in this episode and the next episode. We talked for two hours, and I for two hours, and I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop listening. I couldn't stop hearing her story. She tells fantastic stories. She's, uh, yeah, she's done it all as far as cruising goes, and been uh, obviously around the world and has worked for West Marine and has is now her own has her own website and her own consulting business. She uh, goes to seminars, she speaks at seminars, she speaks at boat shows. Head on over to pamwall.com and check her out. Uh, I had the amazing opportunity of uh, speaking with her today and we will get to that interview in just a second. Actually, I lied. That I didn't talk to her today. I talked to her like 2 months ago and like I said, I'm getting back to it. And thank you, thank you, thank you, all of the listeners, all of the readers, all of the email ralliers that are still signing up, that are signing up and starting their websites and using the Sail Loot Bluehost link at sailloot.com forward slash bluehost. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for all of the encouragement. I have had amazing, amazing, amazing amounts of encouragement uh, with people that have listened to uh, episode 25, and um, it's been It's been fantastic. And uh, of course, I'm inspired by a lot of people, and one of them is Pam Wall. I I will be uh, hopefully using her services uh, sometime in the future. So head on over to PamWall.com. If you need anything, I'm sure that she can get it for you. And uh, here are some of her stories. Like I said, she's fantastic. She knows just about everything. She can get just about anything. She will help you pick out your boat. She will talk to you. She will consult with you. She will... You know, I, when I get down to Fort Lauderdale next, I'm going to call her up and go buy her dinner, is what I'm going to do. Uh, and yeah, Pam Wall is fantastic. And uh, without further ado, let's just get to it and let you listen. So, this is the first installment of Pam Wall's story. Let's have fun. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Sale Loot podcast. This is Teddy, and I have the pleasure of having Pam Wall a cruising consultant. She is on Kandarek. And uh, you have all probably heard of her. I hope you've heard of her. Uh, She does many, many seminars. And Pam, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Um, I also have to apologize um i was some people that are listening might know that i work in an operating room uh, uh on my normal days and i was in there until about ten thirty or 11 last night when we were supposed to talk so thank you for being so accommodating and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today
1: oh teddy thank you it's, it's my pleasure to be here and no need to apologize whatsoever uh the one thing that uh we all know about sailing is we don't use the word sk, 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 <laughs> schedule, okay? That is not in our dictionary, so not to worry.
0: Right. This is fun being here. Yeah, plans change right all the time, uh, especially when you're uh, especially when you're sailing and trying to put a plan together, right? Absolutely. Well, great. Okay, so Pam, I usually start these off by uh, asking everybody that I talked to, uh, how did you get into sailing? And I mean, I'm looking at your biography page, so I sort of know, but maybe you can sum up how did you uh, start sailing and get into sailing?
1: Uh, Teddy, uh, I grew up in um, Chicago on Lake Michigan, and my father was a keen sailor. He always had sailboats. He always raced every weekend. He raced all summer long, and I would go out sailing with him. Every single time he went out. And my job really was to make the bologna sandwiches and hand up the cold beers. (laughs) Um, He he always had a crew of five or six men, sometimes really cute young men. That's probably why I went. Um, And I would be below seriously um, feeding them and, and quenching their thirsts. And sometimes I was allowed up in the cockpit to see what was going on. And uh, that's how I spent my youth, really, uh, sailing with my dad. Um, He made sure that I learned how to sail properly, not when he was racing his boat and and doing a lot to win it. As a matter of fact, remind me to tell you a cool story about one of the boats that he had that won the Boat of the Year. But um, he insisted that I learn how to sail, and we were members of the Chicago Yacht Club and Columbia Yacht Club, which is right on the waterfront in Chicago. And um, every summer, I would take sailing lessons. If it wasn't in penguin dinghies, it would be in little shocks. Sometimes it would be in dragons. Um, so I, I really, I, I formed a love of sailing from my father.
0: Well, great. Go, go ahead and tell us that story, Pam.
1: Uh, well, uh, my dad, sorry, sort of was the kind of guy that always had five foot itis. You know, with the sailboat, I'm sure a lot of people know what I'm talking about. Uh, once he uh, got a boat and raced it for a season, he wanted the next boat right. to build, design, and and race and win. And then he wanted to get another one. Well, um, he had four women in his life. He had my mother and me and my two sisters. So he had four women, and his uh, first big sailboat that he bought for racing was a Lapworth 36, which was a brand new design by Bill Lapworth. And he named that boat his fifth girl. <laughs> and uh, she did very well on the racing circuit. But after a year and a half, um, he sold her and he had another boat designed uh, by a protege of, of uh, Charlie Morgan, whose name was Charlie Hunt. He was a young man who designed fast race boats. And my dad was the first one to give Charlie Hunt, who was a protege of Charlie Morgan, the famous Charlie Morgan designer, um, the ability to build him a race boat that he thought was going to win everything, hands down, on Lake Michigan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this boat was built, and he named that boat Sixth Girl. <laughs> okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, he, consequently, after that, he had several more boats. He had Seventh Girl, then he had Eighth Girl. But Sixth Girl... Uh, not only won both Mackinac races, the best on corrected time of mm-hmm. uh, the first year she was put in the water, but she also won Boat of the Year, which means she won the best overall time of the whole racing series for that summer. well, of course, after my dad sold her, he lost track of her, and I lost track of her and I grew up and I've become an older woman, and um, last year, a man from upstate New York wrote to me and asked me if I was the same Pam Kruger whose father owned a boat called Sixth Girl, and I wrote him back and said, why, yes, you know, why are you asking, and he said he found this wreck of a boat in a boatyard that he was practically given by the boatyard because they wanted to get rid of it, that he had totally restored. And somehow or other, on the Internet, which is, you know, one of the magical things that we have today, right. he found out that this man named Joe Kruger had her built. And somehow or other, and I don't know how it was, he linked Joe Kruger to me, you know, my married name, which was Pam, Pam Wall. And he looked me up in the Internet and um, wrote to me, and he completely restored the boat. She had been totally, totally neglected for years and years and years. She was rotting away, and now she is sailing again, and beautiful, and we're Facebook friends, and it's just like Pygmalion. (laughs) It's like this boat has come back to me since the 60s. Don't forget, this was the 60s. And is now sailing again with a happy rescuer, a happy savior, and we've become really close friends on the internet.
0: Well, that's great. Where is where is where is Sixth Girl? Or I don't. Maybe that's not the boat name now. But where is she
1: located? I think she's on Lake Champlain. I'm not quite (laughs) sure. Um, Someplace up there because I'm not familiar very much with those inland lakes up there. Right. But I think she's on Lake Champlain, and he definitely has called her sixth girl because after we made the connection i sent him uh, a lot of the newspaper articles that of course we kept in a scrapbook that i had to find and dust dust off mm-hmm. and he was he said you know i knew that boat looked like she had character i knew that boat looked like you know she was something pretty special at one time even though she was a total wreck in this boatyard. they couldn't wait to get rid of her and he said, you know, I was right. I had this feeling about her. And it was just really, really a cool story about sailing.
0: Uh, well, well, that's amazing. You'll have to uh, maybe send me that link so we can uh, send a few people their way uh, and put it in the show notes and things like that. Um, so is, is that boat still being raced?
1: I don't think he races her. He, okay. uh, he, he definitely sails her. As a matter of fact, I saw on Facebook just yesterday he did a video uh, of sailing her. And, of course, I was looking at everything on the deck and everything, you know, to see if it looked the same. still has a tiller instead of a wheel. And, you know, everything was the same. It was just, it was like going back in time. It was a time machine for me.
0: That's great. Well, that, that sounds amazing, Pam. Um, we got a little bit off track, and so I'm going to get us back. <laughs> I'm going to get us back on track for a minute. But it says here that you also... Uh, You went and studied at the University of Wisconsin?
1: Yes. Well, um, I started out at American University in in, uh, Washington, D.C., which was really wonderful for my first year. Mm -hmm. But I really missed sailing, and um, I decided that I wanted to come back to where I could sail more because there they didn't have a, a sailing team. They had a rowing team but not a sailing team. So I transferred up to the University of Wisconsin. Of course, that's situated on beautiful Lake Mendota. Mm-hmm. and they have a uh, sailing club there called the Hoofers Sailing Club. And I was one of two women in the sailing club. It was all young men, so you can imagine how much fun that was. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I became the president of Hoofers Sailing Club because no one else wanted to do it. And it sort of gave me prestige in this club of a bunch of darling young men who enjoyed sailing. So we were able to sail in the spring and the fall, uh, before the lake rose over, and um, I continued sailing up there, which was totally wonderful. And and that's another cool story, Teddy, out of the clear blue sky. Two years ago, the president of Huffers um, wrote to me out of the clear blue sky and said, "We're having the fiftieth anniversary of the hoffers Sailing Club at the University of Wisconsin. Would you come and be our guest speaker?"
2: Wow.
0: I- and, I mean That's amazing. This
1: was amazing. And I said, Are you kidding? Of course I would. So he flew me up to Madison and this is the really spooky thing. The dormitory that I lived in for three years at the University of Wisconsin on Langdon Street mm-hmm. had been turned into a hotel only for people who were visiting the university um, you know, by invitation to yeah. uh, you know, to uh, participate in events at the university,
2: right? And
1: he got me into the room that I lived in no. for th- three years. I mean, it's just so bizarre.
0: That that, that is amazing. That, that so, like, did the room look the same? I know if I, I know if I went back to school right now, that my original dorm room would not look the same.
1: No, it did not look the same. It okay. looked like a hotel room. It was much nicer than a dormitory. <laughs> okay. But it smelled the same. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes.
2: It smelled the
1: same. It was, it, was, it was, again, like walking back into time for me. It was just wonderful. And, and uh, the night that I was to give my you know, presentation, uh, we were in this huge auditorium you know, with, with microphones and everything like that. And I got there early to set up. I, I did my family sales around the world uh, presentation. And I got there and there was nobody there you know, at 730, and the presentation was supposed to be at 8 o'clock. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be talking to the walls, you know. Right. And, and by the time 8 o'clock came, there was standing room only. I mean, it was just unbelievable the amount of people who came to it. And I was on a high just from being able to share with those people what this little girl from Chicago this alumni of University of Wisconsin, this past president of the Hoofers, 50 years uh, anniversary, was able to accomplish in our wonderful sailing community.
0: That That's amazing. Uh, you and, you know, in case people don't know out there, you do a lot of seminars, correct?
1: Oh, yes. I love it. I mean, I think, um, you know how some people get a high out of marijuana?
0: <laughs> I guess. <laughs>
1: I guess. I get a high out of standing in front of people the more the better for me and what I love to do teddy is to share the joy that I had in the life that I was so lucky to participate in first with my father and then with my husband and with our children and I feel so blessed that I I had this marvelous existence that I I want to share that with other people not only not only the cruising lifestyle, but I want to share the knowledge that I gleaned from it. And, um, you know, hopefully that this will inspire people to do the same thing, or at least it doesn't have to be the same thing as me, but at least to enjoy the sailing as much as I did.
0: Right. I know. I totally agree. And that's exactly why I have you here, Pam, so that we can hopefully inspire some people, uh, to go ahead and get out there and follow their dreams anyway. So, um, so, And then I'm, I'm looking on here, and it says from Wisconsin, from the University of Wisconsin, you moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where you could, quote, unquote, sail year-round. Now, did you just get up and move to Fort Lauderdale?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, as I was growing up, because, you know, Chicago is the windy, cold city, okay? Mm-hmm. And Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, is windier and colder. Okay. Right. Uh, um, My family, as I was growing up before I went to Wisconsin, every vacation we had, my father would pile his four girls uh, into his car and we would drive for two and a half days down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And the reason he chose Fort Lauderdale was because of a big marina there called Bahia Mar, which at that time was the only marina. Right. Mind you, this was back in the 50s, okay, and 60s. And he, of course, Came to Fort Lauderdale because of the sailboats. He came to Fort Lauderdale because of the Southern Ocean Racing Conference. Mm-hmm. He came to race boats, sailboats. And so every vacation, I'm not joking, Thanksgiving and then a couple of weeks later, Christmas, and then a couple of weeks later, Easter, we all piled into the car. We drove down Route 41 and we always stayed at the same motels and we always got to Fort Lauderdale in two and a half days. And um,
2: <laughs> that's pretty good. I just
1: knew that that's where I, I wanted to live. And my father, of course, totally, totally agreed with me and said, go with our blessing. So I graduated on 6 sixty six. Whoa. And um, it wasn't a few days later that I was very fortunate to have my own car. And I was driving down Route 41 to make my home in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs>
0: Okay so did you have a you know did you graduate college uh, you know did you uh, yes, I don't, I I don't, I, I, No no I I I, mean, I I I don't know like, I don't know how to phrase this question uh Pam to make did it Did a t- I ever study? <laughs> no, no 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 that's uh, what I'm saying is um so when you graduated college, did you have a job lined up? Like nowadays, we all try to, or, or you know, what I did when I graduated college, college was try to have a job lined up. Or did you just say, it doesn't really matter, I'm going to Fort Lauderdale no matter what?
1: No, I'm, I'm really embarrassed to tell you that I had no idea what I was going to do.
0: No, that's great.
1: Uh, seriously, <laughs> I just knew where I wanted to do it. And that, and that was all and um, I drove down and I was able to find a place to live and I went to a travel agency and I applied for a job and in those days travel agencies were really the way to go when you bought tickets because everything was standardized I mean I remember a round trip ticket from Fort Lauderdale to Freeport a round trip ticket from Fort Lauderdale to Nassau a round trip ticket from Fort Lauderdale to It was $25 round trip and, you know, it was real easy to be a travel agent then. And where I was a travel agent right on the 17th Street causeway, which was the hub, the hub of the marine industry in mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale, um, I, that's how I got to meet most of most of the people that I later became not only friends with, but business associates.
0: Okay, so you you got that job. Not only did you... <laughs> It sounds like you you left on a whim just saying, I'm going to live in Fort Lauderdale. You didn't have any of this lined up beforehand?
1: Nothing. No, I didn't even know where I was going to live.
0: Okay, so you were going to sleep in your car as far as you knew. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, <laughs> well, there's a little, there, I, I was lucky. My, my dad said to me, um, Pammy, when you get down to Fort Lauderdale, you find a place where your mother and I can retire when I'm ready to retire, and I'll buy it, and you can live in it and pay you know, all the expenses of it until we retire. So that, that's exactly what I did, and I, I just happened to find probably the best apartment in Fort Lauderdale right on Port Everglades, 16 stories up, overlooking the inlet. You could see to Miami. You could practically see to Bimini. And when I went out onto the balcony and I saw a submarine coming in, I had to race back to the realtor's office because there was no such thing as cell phones in those days. I called my dad up. Right. And I said, Dad, can I describe to you what I just saw? And I told him about this two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. But the most important thing was that it was right on the inlet. And every boat that went by had to go right underneath our balcony. And he said, buy it. <laughs> he just said, buy it. You nice. Know? And that's what I lived in with, a, you know, a card table and a blow-up mattress.
0: Perfect. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Are you? Are, is is that where you still live?
1: No. no okay. But my, it's still in the family. My parents did eventually retire and move in, and of course I moved out. But uh, it's still in the family. My parents sadly have passed away, but one of my sisters is living there today. Oh
0: well, that's great. So your sister lives somewhat near you down there.
1: Yes. A- after my that was my younger sister who also went to University of Wisconsin. Okay when she graduated, she moved down to Fort Lauderdale and my other sister, who is my older sister, um, who went to school in Bennington, Vermont, uh, was working out in Malibu, California. And my father kind of bribed her and said, um, I want the family back together again, come back to Fort Lauderdale. And, and we bought a house on the water that had a dock. Okay. Okay. And that dock was going to be for my dad's boat and my three, my two sisters and I, lived in that house it was like a dormitory <laughs> i want to tell you something i don't want to tell you the stories about three young girls fresh out of college <laughs> <living that house. laughs>
0: so this was before you met andy
1: yes it was but okay. it was so relevant to um the rest of my life because it had a doc
0: right uh, absolutely so through all this, okay, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to put things together in my own mind here. Uh, sorry that I'm repeating a few things. So you came down to Fort Lauderdale, you bought this apartment, uh, and then you were working for a travel agency, correct? Correct. Now, did you get the job at the travel agency first, or was this all like within a couple days that you found this place to live and... Got a job at the travel agency.
1: You know, it's so weird, Teddy. It all happened within the first five days I was down there. Uh, first, I had to find a place to live. Okay? Right. And then, by the way, I did not buy it. My father bought it.
2: Well, you know? right, right.
1: Um, uh, and as soon as I knew that I had a place to live and didn't have to live in my car, I I got the job. Right away, I just walked in and asked them if I could have this job. And I said, I'd love to travel. Um, you know, I live right around the corner. It was a place called Harbor Beach Travel. I lived in Harbor Beach. And I got the job immediately. Well, I mean, I just started to work the next day.
0: Great. So were you sailing at all while you were there as well?
1: Um, I hadn't started yet, no. I mean, I was still trying to <laughs> figure out how did this all happen so fast, you know. Right. But it's kind of interesting because one of my favorite customers who would um, buy airplane tickets for me. Mm-hmm. Don't forget I was young. I, I was, I, you know, I was kind of more, I should say, upbeat than the people that had been working behind those desks for many years, you know, who were very knowledgeable, but I was young and vibrant, and they were, you know, travel agents, you know what I mean? Sure. Anyway, um, this, this wonderful man um, took me out to lunch one day and said, listen, I'm starting up a new business, and I'd like you to run it for me. Um, and it's um, a charter business, and it's a uh, for sailboats, it's a brokerage business, and it's a new boat business. And you would be the perfect person to run this office for me and come and come and take a look where your office would be. And he took me to this building right on 17th Street, not 200 yards from where the travel agency was, and there was this beautiful office with something I'd never seen before. It was called an electric typewriter. <laughs> it had a thing called a fax machine. Of course, I didn't even know what that was, you know. Right. And it had a telephone where you pushed buttons instead of, you know, dialed. You know what I mean? Sure. And and this gorgeous office and with a little side office for him and he said, I want you to run this business for me right here. I'm I'm in Fort Lauderdale half my life and I'm up in the northeast the other half of my life. And that's how I got into the marine industry.
0: Wow. Okay. So what what, what was this business called?
1: It was called Allied Yacht Sales of Florida. Inc. Okay. And I don't know if you know the boats, the the Allied boats, the Greenwich 24, the Seawind 30, the Looters 33. um, You know, we had a whole series of boats that we sold, and we had one of each to charter. So I was totally in charge of chartering these boats, the charter boats that we had. Mm -hmm. I was in charge of maintaining them and, of course, screening the people and getting them ready for charter. And then, of course, selling uh, some of the new boats as well. It was wonderful. And I was a one man show. I mean, I had people working for me, but I mean, I ran the office.
0: That is that that is that is amazing, Pam. OK. Um, I
1: mean, uh,
0: yeah, these are like we, we've we talked a couple of times before. We have not talked about this stuff yet. So all these stories are 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 just great to me, Pam. Uh, that That's fantastic. So at this time, when when did your how long was it before your sisters got down there?
1: Uh, they dribbled in over the next two years. Okay. Yeah.
0: So how long did you did you tell? How long were you working at the travel agency before this person came up to you?
1: Less than a year.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. So by the time your sisters got there, you were running Allied Yacht Sales of Florida Inc. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I got and, and I got I all tell that you,
1: right. I'm so proud of myself, Teddy. For the first time in my life, I bought my own car. Because Good for you. I was earning a living for the first time, right? Enough to buy a GTO convertible. Can you believe that? That's what I bought.
0: That that sounds that sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> talk about talk about youth, you
0: know? <laughs> oh, Pam, uh, the, 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 that's great. Uh, <laughs> Did you
1: watch that car cost me. That car cost me five thousand uh, dollars. You know how much that was in those days? Yeah. That was
0: Money. i know it was it was a lot of money and i hear that right now and i say i i want to buy that car for five
1: thousand <laughs> yeah, i should have kept it it was a fortune today
0: <laughs> right right um okay so you're working for allied yacht sales you are, are, are do you have any thoughts in your head about you know taking off and cruising the world at this point? Or are you just loving life, living in and running this business?
1: Um, you know, I, 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 when I was 16 years old, I was bringing my dad's Columbia 50 into the dock at Chicago Yacht Club. I was sailing it. I was his, um, I was his first mate, and I always, always dreamt about meeting someone who would take me on their boat and sail me around the world. And while I was sixteen, seventeen, I can't remember how old I was, and I had just brought this Columbia fifty in and every all the dock boys at Chicago Yaqua thought this was so cool, you know, they'd all rush down to help me. Right. And I I never embarrassed myself, but I you know, I learned the hard way, but I got got to be pretty good at it. And a little tiny thirty foot boat sailed in a wooden a wooden boat with a couple from South Africa, a very young couple and they had just sailed from South Africa on this little boat. They were the nicest, most wonderful, most modest people. And I just, I wanted to rub shoulders with them. I wanted something to rub off on me that would get me to have an opportunity like they did. I thought that what they had done was better than going to the moon. Right. And that's. What started me thinking i've I've got to have a life like this sometime i just I just have to because it, I mean this boat was so tiny, and they what they told me about what it was like at sea and what it was like making landfalls and what it was like cooking and fishing and i mean it was just i knew okay that's what i want to do
0: so you knew you knew at sixteen that you wanted wanted to do that, and were you um just waiting for that to happen down there or how uh, no. did how did no how no did, no, no, <laughs> no you were gonna do it whether you found the man or not you ended up finding the man it, it yeah when,
1: you <laughs> know, I was, I was dating a lot of guys and most of them were sailors you know right I mean? and right. and every single one of them i'm sure i, I fell in love with you know and and <clears throat> something happened you know what i mean right i mean i really i was having a blast i was having a blast and and the the um uh, other part of it was, and it was that my dad, when he eventually moved down, uh, didn't buy a sailboat right away, but bought a couple of boats. And the the second boat that he bought was uh, a brand new design by Don Aronow. It was called a Magnum Thirty Five. It was mm-hmm. like like a huge Donzi, right? And uh, Don Aronow was a really good friend of my dad's, and my dad and I would go down to. Um, you know, North Miami and watch this boat being built. And then my dad surprised me and named it Pam's Pony because I always wanted a horse, but I never got a horse. (laughs) So the boat was called Pam's Pony.
0: Instead you got a boat. And
1: and, uh, I kept the boat uh, at Pier 66, which is a beautiful marina. Mm -hmm. And um, the dock master there, Ronnie, thought it was pretty cool that this little girl was running this 35 foot magnum and and he put me in the slip right in front of his office you know right it was like (laughs) in the spotlight you know and I remember I always had to back it into the slip I always wanted to back it in and I would you know it's so easy with twin engines it's just so easy to back a boat into any slip and yet the guys the dock boys would come running to help me and and how do you say to them, I don't need you, I don't need you. And they say, we want to help, we want to help. Anyway, that, that was all part of um, the fun of living down there. I wasn't on the hunt then at all. Right. I was hunted.
2: You
1: know. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I have some wonderful pictures of uh, Vogue magazine came and asked uh, Ronnie, the master of Pier 66. They wanted to charter... Pam's Pony for a week of of photography, Vogue magazine, uh, with these gorgeous models. And um, uh, they called me up and asked me if they could do it. This was before my dad was living there permanently. And I said, sure. Uh, They said, well, you'll have to run the boat. I said, that's no problem. And they got a a beautiful 50-foot Hatteras with a great big fly, you know, a tuna tower Mm
2: -hmm, to mm -hmm. have the
1: photographer in it so that he could look down on us. And, of course, I'd have to take the boat out every day with these magnificent skinny models, you know, who didn't like the wind, didn't like the sun, didn't like the speed, got seasick, you know. And I'd have to be (laughs) cowering underneath the the helm steering while it looked like they were steering. Right. And and going flat out, I mean, as fast as that boat could go, which was fast, Mm -hmm. with the big 50-foot Hatteras with the photographer up in in the tuna tower, taking the pictures, but I had to hide so he couldn't see me. (laughs) And I was so afraid we were going to have a collision because, I mean, we were going, you know, 50 feet apart, full speed. Right. And these girls were sick and they hated the wind. Anyway, I have some marvelous pictures I could send you. At the end of this, this week, the photographer and I became pretty good friends. And he said, I want to take you out on the boat by yourself and just take pictures of you. And we went out together, and what a feeling to have a photographer going, click, 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 click for an hour. Right. No matter what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Going fast or slow, turning the boat around, or spinning the boat around, or whatever, and it's just click, 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 click. It was It was like, I, I, I can understand how those women sort of get hooked on it, you know, those models. Right. It was really, really fun. And he sent me a, a case of champagne and a dozen roses besides the money to charter the boat. And, of course, I don't drink. I've never had a drink in my life. So I was very popular. Mm-hmm. I had this case of the best champagne from Vogue magazine. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was just a really fun experience. That's all.
0: Uh, that, that, that that sounds amazing. You were their model, though, Pam. Like You were Pier 66's model. Oh! Got- <laughs> it's basically I that what it skirt. sounds like yeah. as you as you backed that boat in every single time as you came in with pam's pony every single time that's exactly why they wanted you there in in the front <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: office. Well, you know
1: i always i always wore a mini skirt and sort of a bikini top and you know you don't you've never met me teddy but i'm i'm not five feet i'm not five feet and, I, and i'm i'm under 95 pounds so I, i'm not a big person so i guess that also had a little bit to do with the, the, you know, the aura of me in this gigantic, fast boat, you know, that was such a new design and everything. Right. You know? So I can thank my dad for that.
0: <laughs> well, that that's amazing, Pam. So when did Andy come into your life?
1: Well, what happened was the Allied Yacht Sales of Florida uh, was purchased by... Um, Uh, Marina dell'Americana, which was a great big brokerage house, uh, right on the intercoastal at the 17th Street Bridge. It was right on the northeast corner. And when uh, they took over the charter and the brokerage for Allied Yacht Sales of Florida, I went with the Allied Boats. Okay. And I became uh, a yacht broker with all the big names in Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. Luke Brown, Mm -hmm. Bill Thomas. I mean... Uh, all these people were the big yacht brokers in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and then there was little old me, and I, I never sold a boat with them because they, you know, they had a, they had a real, you know, following, and of course I had never been in that following, but I was still the, you know, the fun little girl working there, and my desk faced the docks where they kept the boats. They had their own little harbor. It was a beautiful little harbor. And um, that's where I met Andy. I saw him walking down the dock. But the okay. longer story is is that while I was working for them, I came up to Chicago, my hometown, for the Chicago Boat Show, which at that time was at McCormick Place. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in October, not in January like it is now. And I flew to my hometown. My dad picked me up at O'Hare Airport and drove me to Chicago Yacht Club for lunch. And it was freezing cold and windy. And um, he always ate lunch at Chicago Yacht Club. That was just part of the deal. And we're sitting there, the window's overlooking the docks, and there's no boats in the harbor. Everybody's been hauled out. There's no moorings in the harbor. All the moorings have been taken out for the winter because it freezes over. And there was one big, beautiful yawl. Moored right in front of where we were eating, and this guy kept getting on it and off of it and on it and off of it, and I, I couldn't eat my lunch because I was transfixed by this young man getting on and off this beautiful boat that was there, all varnished. Oh, she was just beautiful, and my dad saw me looking at him and said, "You know, that guy's from Australia, and he's the uh, captain on that boat, and you know." It's, it's Peter Grimm's boat. I, I, Peter's a good friend of mine. Do You want me to introduce you to him, kid? You know, I can see you're staring <laughs> at him. I said, no, Daddy, I've already fallen in love with him. And I knew I would never <laughs> see him again. Right? Right. And while I was typing one day at my desk about two months later, and they didn't have electric typewriters there. They had real typewriters. Real mm-hmm. come down for me. Um, I looked up, and there he was walking past my window nice he had brought that boat down the mississippi the mm-hmm. boat was called panacea it was a charlie morgan custom-built boat 54 foot boat he brought that boat down the mississippi to participate in the southern, southern ocean racing circuit and he had just arrived and he was walking down the docks and i ran out and introduced myself to him and he looked at me because you know he was six foot three and i'm four eleven he looked down at me like who are you you know and um I told him I had seen him up at Chicago Yacht Club, and I knew he was Peter Grimm's captain. And I uh, was the babysitter for Peter Grimm Jr., and, you know, we had something in common, you know. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. here I was so nervous. And he was a very cool guy. He was a man of very few words. And he said, well, nice to meet you. I'm leaving tomorrow. I said, where are (laughs) you going? He said, I'm going down to Bertram's Yard down in Miami. And I said, have you ever been there before? He said, no. I said, well, do you want a pilot? He said, I don't need a pilot to get down to Bertram's. And I said, well, can a pilot go with you? <laughs> do you want to come with me? And I said, oh, I'd love to. And he said, okay, we'll be at the boat at 8 o'clock tomorrow. And, we will you can come with me. It's just going to be us taking it down to Miami. I said, that's fine. And that's how I met Andy.
0: So you were working for Marina della Americana at this point. Right. And you met Andy. And... I guess my question is, what happened from there with I mean, that's how you met Andy. I mean, were you just together with him from then on?
1: No, no, I, 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 we, we took the boat down to Miami, you know went up the, the river to Bertram's, and uh, uh, I said to him, "Listen, it's going to be the weekend to, you know on Sunday because this was on a Saturday." And he said, I said, "Do you want me to come down in, in, in my, my dad's boat?" And And we can have dinner together, he said, "Sure, if you want to, you know you know typical Australian if you want to you know <laughs> so um sunday afternoon i I took Pam's pony out and I took it down to Miami and I took it to, up the river to bertram's and i I got to Bertram's, and I tied up, and he was still working on the boat and uh uh he finally he finally quit and um uh, he came to the boat, and it was pretty dark by then, it was you know, it was it was late. It was during the winter time, so it was dark by by seven thirty. And um, I said, "Listen, why don't we just slowly head back to Fort Lauderdale, and I can make us, you know, some corned beef hash, and I have some canned peaches aboard and stuff like that." He said, "That would be great." So, the two of us got on Pam's pony in the pitch dark and went back up the river and out Government Cut in Miami. And we didn't go fast. We just Even though the boat could go fast, we just slowly wound our way back the 20 miles up to Port Everglades. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting in the, in the helmsman seat, which was wide enough for two people as we were coming in. And um, his hands were gigantic and mine are very small. He took one of my hands in between his two hands and he said, "Um, I have to tell you something. And I thought he was going to say, I like you or something, you know, (laughs) but he said to me. My fiancé is flying in tomorrow, <laughs> and, and um, I'm getting off of Panacea, and I'm taking this 90-foot catch down to Roatan, and and Carol is coming with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just, and, you know, I pretended, oh, how wonderful, you're, you know, that I'm so happy for you, blah, blah, blah. Right. Anyway, I, I drove him back down to Miami, and then came home and got hysterical crying, you know, and... Right. But that's okay. I mean, you know. And the next night, I got this phone call. Um, He says, you probably don't remember me. Don't forget, he had an Australian accent. (laughs) Yeah. You probably don't remember me. You probably
0: don't remember me from from yesterday. I
1: I came with you on your boat last night. And I said, of course I remember you. (laughs) He said, well, could you come down uh, to Bertram's? And I said, yeah. And he said, "Um, I have been at the airport for four hours and Carol never got off the airplane. Interesting. And he said, I need some company. So I went down and uh, we, just, we just started talking. And he told me, you know, everything about Carol and how much he loved her. And he couldn't understand why she didn't come. And in those days, it was hard to, for him to get a telephone because he was on this boat. He had no cell phone or anything. So he didn't know what had happened. Right. And on uh, the next day, he was supposed to leave on this 90-foot boat to take it down to Roatan. And he said, the the problem is, my little 30-foot boat is here, and I don't want to leave it here. This is not a good place for it. Um, it's a bad part of town, and I'm going to be gone for months. I don't know when I'm going to come back. Do you know of a dock? Now, see, this is, this is, you know, before he even knew where I lived. And I said, just so happens... Um, my dad has just bought this house, and it's got a dock, and if you want to bring the boat to my dock, you can leave it at my dock. Right. And he said, oh, that would be fantastic. I can delay leaving for Roatan a day. Would you like to help me sail it from Miami to your dock? And I said, oh, I'd love to. And I got to this boat that looked so pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it had been ridden hard and put away wet, you know, like a thoroughbred horse. You know what I mean? It's just... This is the boat that he had sailed around Cape Horn in with three, with two other men. Right. <laughs> They're not the best housekeepers, you know. Right. And we got aboard this little boat, um, and we sailed up to Fort Lauderdale, got her to the dock, and um, <laughs> um, cleaned out the potatoes that had been left in for six months. Oh <laughs> it was gosh! Just disgusting. Yeah,
0: that, were, that were growing I, more roots.
1: Yeah, I drove him back down to Miami, and he laughed. He laughed. Wow. I'm um, on um, this 90 foot catch, and um, but I had his, his boat was at my dock.
0: Well, was this boat car- all right I'm, I asked Karen you Aide. Aide. I asked yes, you how right. to pronounce it when we first yes. before we even started. Uh, yeah. So this was carronade that was at your yeah, dock. Was, OK This
1: was a little boat that he built in Australia as a teenager and then sailed uh, through the Pacific and then up to San Francisco and then back down to Tahiti, and then never telling a soul. Uh, he and his two uh, very young crew, Des Kearns and Bob Nance, um, they left from Tahiti and sailed around Cape Horn in that little 30-foot boat, and um, and then up the coast of South America, and finally to Miami, where he got the job on Panacea.
0: Okay. And that boat was at your dock at this point, and he was in Roatown.
1: Yeah, I presume so. I mean, yeah. At this point. Yeah.
0: Okay, so... I've been enthralled by your stories here, Pam. <laughs> um, when did Andy come back and you guys decide that you weren't starting to sail around the world?
1: Well, it was a year later. It was at Thanksgiving. I was having dinner at Luke Brown's house, who later became a really, really famous yacht broker. Right. Uh, everybody knows Luke Brown's name. And uh, Drew Silla has taken over his business and, and you know, a, a world-renowned yacht broker. Uh, Anyway, I was at Luke Brown's for Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving, and it was my sister and I were there. And uh, we came home just stuffed. And the phone rang when we got home. And now we're living in the house, and the boat is there. And my sister answers it. And she comes to me and says, I I think it's Martin. but It's an English accent, but it doesn't sound like Martin, but it's an English accent. Because I was going out with a really nice... Uh, Englishman named Martin at the time. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, tell him I can't talk to him. I'm just so full, i got to go to sleep. And she said, well, Pam, it may not be Martin. You better answer it, you know. So I got to the phone, and this guy says to me, hello, this is Andy Wall. You probably don't remember me, but my <laughs> boat is at your dock. <laughs> and I, I just flew in to Miami, and I have absolutely no idea how to find my boat. All right. So I said, wait there. I'll come and get you. And I drove down and I brought him to his boat. And he said to me, would you mind if I stayed on the boat for two days? Because I'm going to sail her to Europe. But I'm going to have to clean her up and get her ready to go. And I said, no, that's fine. And I was so excited to see him again. And uh, he, he, he went aboard his little boat. And um, two years later, we left for Europe together. Married. Good for so, you. So Good for you. We did lots of deliveries together. but we did uh, when we knew we were falling in love. We totally, uh, we didn't rebuild Caronade, but we 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 stripped her and, and redid the inside so that it was a beautiful boat again, instead of a a bachelor's horrible stinky <laughs> pad. And and we knew we were going to sail it to Europe, but to earn money, and, and here we go to sail loot.
2: There we go. We both
1: did uh, long distance <laughs> deliveries together.
2: Okay,
0: so that's what I was going to get into at this point is. Right. How the heck did you guys start saving up? So you guys did long-distance deliveries together. Uh, so you weren't working for Marina del, del American anymore?
1: No, I when, when, I, when Andy asked me if I would like to go into the delivery business with him because uh, okay. that was a, a very lucrative job in those days. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I quit that job, and we just did these deliveries together. And we were gone a lot of the time. In between working on the boat and trying to fix it up for us to leave, and I mean, it took us two years to to earn enough to be able to go off and to totally redo the boat. I mean, you know, everything on the boat. We redid the decks. We built a new doghouse. We did a new interior. We, you know, I mean, right. We we the whole boat was totally redone. And um, of course, we were living in the house with my two sisters.
0: <laughs> okay, so you were living in the house with your two sisters. Now, did you do all of the deliveries? together
1: oh yeah always together okay and
0: mm-hmm. okay so you but you guys knew all all through all throughout this entire time that you guys were going to take caronade and sail her across the oceans basically
1: well andy knew that but i didn't because you know he was one of these australians no oh, we don't have to get married we're just fine the way we are blah blah and i said I'm not going unless I'm Mrs. Andrew Wall. I am not going to be a name in your guest book. He had this fantastic guest book. And all these women who had it saying, Jusque que revienne, you know, until you come back to me, that sort of thing. Right. And I vowed when I saw that visitor's book, I was never going to sign it. I was going to own it.
2: <laughs> well, good.
1: So, so, so it came time for us to leave. And I said to Andy, I, I just can't do this to my parents. My parents adore you. You know, my parents are old-fashioned. You know, if it was up to me, I would follow you to the ends of the earth. But I just can't go unless we're married. He said, okay, let's get married. <laughs> just like that. Awesome. Such a romantic Australian. You know? Such okay. a
0: romantic Australian. So
1: let's get married. Okay. <laughs> Good deal.
0: <laughs> okay. So, like, did you guys have a budget for your trip?
1: Um. Well, no, we didn't, but um, we we had a tiny stash, you know, that we had been saving, right. okay? And uh, when wherever we went, I mean, we didn't go directly to Europe, you know. First of all, we went down to the West Indies. Well, well first we went to the Virgin Islands, then we went up and down the West Indian chain. Then we went up to Bermuda, and then we spent uh, several months over in the Azores, and then from the Azores we went to England. We were in England for two years, sailing around over there. And every place we went, we... We did odd, odd boat jobs together. Okay. If it wasn't varnishing, we were Andy would cover wheels and leather. Um, Andy would take do deliveries. Um, he'd help people with rigging. He was a real good rigger. Um, I did whatever I could. You know, I, I worked in a restaurant as a waitress. You know, and I, uh, you know, you know little little things like that. And of course, I was always Andy's kind of sidekick. So when people hired him, they hired me too.
0: Right. So, did you know? Do you know how much it, uh, on average, costs for you to? I do.
1: I do know because I remember when we ran out of money. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) And it's kind of funny, uh, Teddy. How um, some friends help you out, and some strangers. Some friends don't help you out, and some friends. Some strangers really help you out. uh, uh, we were we were sort of averaging about $300 a month. Oh, and we awesome. thought that was a lot. Yeah. Can you okay. believe it?
0: Uh,
1: but, you know, we never went to a marina because there were no marinas. There were no marinas. You know, okay. we never went out to eat. We caught a lot of fish. Um, we worked hard. We had a boat that was so simple, you know, just so simple that it didn't need any maintenance, you know, because it was... A simple little sloop with you know a foot pump for the water you know a one burner a two burner kerosene stove um you know that was that was our luxury. We didn't even have a toilet on that boat. I mean you know we didn't have any boat expenses
2: right okay i
0: see I see what you're saying. You didn't have all of the fancy electronics to maintain like everybody does no, now but there but, weren't any you know right.
1: and, and we didn't we didn't yeah. have to worry about going to marinas because there weren't any. But we wouldn't have gone anyway. I mean, there, there just weren't any. And, you know, it was a, a vagabond life of two young people making ends meet. Right. And um, I remember one time we did run out of money and we had a really good friend and we asked him for a hundred bucks that we knew would take last us a couple of weeks, you know. Yeah. And he said, I, 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 you know, I don't want to have to do that, you know. And um, an acquaintance of ours overheard this and, uh, he ripped out of his wallet a hundred bucks and said, I don't even want you to pay it back. So, I mean, you know, that's what I was thinking of that right. story of friends who don't help and, and complete strangers who do. It's kind of an interesting story.
0: Sure. So you guys were pretty much living off of $300 a month while you did this. And this was kind of your honeymoon.
1: Oh, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, It was wonderful. And you know, I'm so grateful to my parents. I mean, here we are in a boat that relies on nothing but a sextant, a navigator, and a Zenith transoceanic radio um, to have the confidence in Andy to not only kiss us goodbye, but to wish they were going with us. Right. You know, today when I think of my kids, if they did that, I'd be hysterical. (laughs) You know? You know, even with all the modern things that you have today, I'd be hysterical. Right. But um, you know, you got to hand it to parents that they can see what a person is well enough to trust them implicitly Mm -hmm. with their beloved daughter.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that that is pretty amazing. Uh, And one of the things I was about to say, you know, before I even uh, you know got into asking about budgets and things was. It sounds like Andy had been doing this most of his life. Basically, he sounds like he traveled from place to place and was always finding work sailing somehow.
1: Yes, that's, that is correct. He, he was the only person in the very well-known accounting firm in Sydney, Australia, where he grew up, who was ever fired... For having a yachting magazine inside his ledger book when he was on the job, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, and he was very fortunate that he had a father that understood his immense desire to go to sea. Mm -hmm. You know, so he was very lucky too. So the two of us really owe a lot to our parents who had uh, the the wonderful giving. Uh, to their children of what they really wanted to do, which was so foreign, well no, not foreign but different from what they had anticipated
0: right, oh yeah, I mean uh, especially then uh, it it was yeah. you know yeah. nobody would have you're exactly right, Pam, yeah, okay, so you do this for about three years, and where did you did you leave carronade somewhere?
1: Uh, Well, we did. uh, uh, For two years in a row, we left Caronade over in England. Okay. Up the River Dart. uh, And we did fly home to work at home on on deliveries and things like that and whatever we could get in Fort Lauderdale. So uh, twice we left, and I remember, (laughs) we were just astonished at how expensive it was. Uh, The first year we left Caronade in the water at the Dart Marina, Mm -hmm. which really was just a one- boat dock. Uh, it was 90 pounds for the whole winter. <laughs> I don't think you could get a mooring there for 90 pounds a night. You know? and, and so we left the boat there. And then um, another time we left the boat in Limington. And again, it was an astonishing 150 pounds for the whole winter to oh, leave her there. Oh and we would fly home and we would, we would work doing the exact same things at home. But more into rigging because Andy was really a very very good rigger, and he started a little rig- rigging business um, from our from our home and um, well from home and he also worked uh, out of a sail loft, Max Shaw Sailmakers. So we were able to earn quite a bit of money uh, in the winter time when we couldn't have sailed in England or Northern Europe, I should say. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. And then we would go back in April and, and, and sail for the whole summer and then come back. again. we did that twice.
0: Okay. So you would come back to Florida in the winter. oh You know. It, it yeah, in the went, winter.
1: Don't forget, that's the season that all the boats are here. Right. You know, back then in the 70s, the early 70s, nobody was in Florida in the summertime.
2: Right. Nobody. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: But in the wintertime, it became a sailing mecca.
0: Well, well, right. Everybody wanted to get out of the cold weather from up north. Right. right. So and they still do somewhat. So Exactly. So it says here that for the next 10 years, uh, Andy had the easy job of building a larger 39-foot sloop. And uh, you had the amazing job, let's say, of building the crew. When when did you also get back – somewhere in here there's you working for West Marine. I, I mean, so did you go – okay, so you left on Kandarek prior to coming back and working for West Marine. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Okay. But I worked for another wonderful company for 12 years in between while we were building the boat and okay. the family.
0: Okay, so who did you work for? So – where did you, all right? So where did you leave Caronade? Finally, I guess I should say.
1: Okay, well this is this is kind of interesting. Um, uh, the very first Whitbread round the world race, mm-hmm. okay, had a brand new boat made by Swan. Swan sixty five. I think yep. she was hull number three. That was owned by Ramon Carlin, who was a wonderful Mexican gentleman. And we were over in England while they were starting to exercise all the boats that were going to participate in the Whitbread Round the World Race. This was quite a big thing then.
2: Yeah.
1: And, yeah. and Andy applied to Seula. The name of the boat was Seula. Mm-hmm. Applied to Raymond Carlin to be the navigator aboard Seula on the Whitbread Race. Okay. And, of course... He was accepted with great pleasure. All right. So we had to stay in the Southampton area, living aboard little Karen A, the two of us, while Andy every single day was out working on Seula, sailing on Seula, working on it, going up the rig, you know, getting ready to participate in the Whitbread Round the World race. And Andy's wife started feeling sorry for herself because she was going to have to stay in England, in Southampton, living on Carinade for over a year while her husband...
0: That's you, Pam, by the way. That was me. I'm just letting you know.
1: (laughs) ...was going to race around the world on Sayula. And um, it's not that I had a great influence on Andy, Mm -hmm. but he understood how I felt. And Ramon Carlin came aboard. Ramon was a very big man and he came aboard little carronade one night. And he says, Mrs. Wall, we want you to sail with us because we want Andy to be happy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, there was Ramon with like fifteen Mexicans and an all star crew, you know, and everything. And I said, Mr. Carlin, I, I you know, muchas gracias, but I don't want to be the only woman <laughs> racing around the world on any boat, you know, mm-hmm. besides I just, I just didn't want to do it. So he says, Mrs. wall. I will fly you to South Africa. I will fly you to Australia. I will fly you to South America. And so you can be with Andy when we, you know, make the you know required stops. Right. And I said, we need Andy. And I said, you know, Thank you, Mr. you know, Senior Colin. We will think about it. And he left, and Andy and I were just just torn apart because we loved each other, and we really did not want to be separated. Right. We, we had become, excuse this horrible word, a I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> Remember in um, Mrs. Robinson?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's another great old anyway. Anyway, anyway, um, Um, And, you know, he said to me, you know, Squirt, I just assume, I just assume sail on Karenade. He said, we want to build a bigger boat together. We've designed a bigger boat together. We want to have a family. And, you know, it's okay with me. And he and I, instead of Andy going on Sayula, who, by the way, won (laughs) the very first Whitbread Round the World race, which, of course... Andy never forgave himself for not going. (laughs) But, of course, they also lost a crew member over the side and never found him, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, in the Indian Ocean. But um, Andy and I sailed slowly back home. And um, when we got back home to our dock, Mm -hmm. after having been away for several years, this was in 1974, another young Australian named Billy Nance, who was a very unknown but... Wonderful sailor. He, he sailed around the world single-handed in a 23-foot virtue beneath the three capes. And he was dismasted in the Indian Ocean. And he jury-rigged this little 23-foot boat and sailed all the way back to Perth like 5,000 miles by himself. Right. Anyway, Billy was a good friend of us. He's standing on the dock. He takes our lines. He says, I know you want to build a bigger boat. I want to buy a carronade. Nice. Here's cash. Nice. And I'll tell you the boat that I want you to build. He said, um, I built a, a Freya. A Freya was a very famous boat in the 60s in Australia. She won the Sydney Hobart race three times in a row. Mm-hmm. And so every young man like Billy and Andy uh, grew up just thinking that boat was the, the you know, cat's meow. It was such a fabulous boat. And Billy told us about this young Australian out in Petaluma, California, who had built a mold for a Freya to build a fiberglass Freya because the original Freya is out of made out of timber, and he said, "Why don't you take this money for Karenade and drive out and and build your own Freya out in Petaluma?" That's uh, he said. But the only thing is, you have to name it the name that I was going to call my Freya. I was going to build a Freya, but. At this point in my life, I'm going to sail Caronade. And I want you to name your Freya what I was going to name my Freya. And it's an Aboriginal name from South Australia. It's the cave-dwelling painting of the kangaroo in mythology, Aboriginal mythology, that taught the Aborigines how to dance. And he said, that's what I was going to name my boat. And one of the... um, Prerequisites for me buying Carinade is that you name your Freya Kendaric. So we did. So we borrowed my sister's car and we drove to Petaluma and we spent five months laying up the hull. (laughs) Right. That is not fun. Yeah. And um, putting the lead ballast in, the internal keel, Mm -hmm. putting the um, bulkheads in and a fake deck. And then two tons of Brunzeal plywood was lashed down below. And then put her on a truck and trailered her. We didn't trailer her, on a trucking company.
2: Right,
1: Trucked her back to Fort Lauderdale, where we began in earnest to complete the hull that we started out in, in Petaluma. And uh, we worked on the boat here in Fort Lauderdale for 10 years. And... At that point in time, I started working for Mack Shaw Sailmakers. Okay. And that's, I worked for them for 10 years, and I never s- stitched a sail. I ran the office. And this is another great job for someone who likes to meet the Cruising and Racing Sailboat Society in Fort Lauderdale.
2: Well, of and course. actually
1: everywhere, because... That was the big sail loft in Fort Lauderdale. And I mean, my customers were Jimmy Buffett. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, it was it was an incredible job. I ran the office and Andy uh, started the rigging business with Mack Shaw Sailmakers. They started out just as, as sailmakers and then Andy started their, their rigging division. And that's where we worked for the next 10 years. At the same time, building the boat. And then I had two wonderful children. And um, that's how we started uh, out in Kandarika. We laid her haul up in 1975, and we departed Port Everglades for our sail around the world in 1985.
0: Amazing, Pam. <laughs> um, all right. So this entire time, you guys know that you're saving money to sail around the world, right?
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, the biggest mistake we made was telling people, you know, we're going to do this, and you should never, ever tell people what you're going to do because uh, they always say, well, I thought you were in Australia. I thought you were heading for Australia. Why aren't you in Australia, you know? I thought you were going to be gone. And um, we, we realized that we, we had to stay another year to, to really save. Once we got the boat to the point where we weren't spending oodles of money on her, we realized that we had to work really hard. Both of us back at work. My my poor two children were looked after by my sister Jill, who lived next door. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saving every penny that we could uh, so that we could leave. So we stayed for an extra year. It was just dreadful because we had told everybody we were leaving, and then we stayed another year. And everybody would say it was, "Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd be in Australia, but now you know." <laughs> so never tell anybody what your estimated time of
0: departure is, ever. That's the exact opposite um, uh, advice that I get from most people that I talk to, Pam. Just (laughs) (laughs) saying. Some people believe that if you don't set a date, you may never go. Uh, But if you do set a date, yeah, you might move it back a little bit. But the good thing is people will be asking you why the heck you aren't where they think you should be, you Mm -hmm. know?
1: Yeah, well, we did set a date, but then we realized it was an unrealistic date, so we set another date, you know what I mean? Right. And um, it was was just something that that we knew we had to do. I mean, we couldn't, you know, when you're building a boat, here's the story of building a boat. Your refrigerator breaks down in your house, Mm -hmm. and you live without refrigeration for weeks at a time before you want to buy another fridge. You buy, you want to put a refrigeration system on your boat, and without even blinking, you go and buy a very expensive refrigeration system. Right. But you live without refrigeration in your house because it's your house. Yeah. You know, your house is falling down around you, but the boat is really important. Yeah. And that's that's how we got. You know what I mean? Every, every penny we had went into that boat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were both working full time. And we just knew that after the boat got to the point where we could sail away, if we if we worked really hard for the next year without you know putting it putting more into the boat um we would realistically have enough to at least get going at least get going which so, is what we did
0: so what did you uh, what was your goal amount of money to have to leave with does that make sense
1: are you going to you you're going to laugh yeah Ten thousand dollars.
0: That is that, that. That's actually what. What was what year was it?
1: Nineteen eighty-five.
0: Yeah. Okay. You, you've already said that. Uh, so I, I'm not going to laugh too. Well, actually, I am a little bit. Did you? That's ex- a lot of
1: money did, to us. You did,
0: know? Well, did you expect that to last um, six and a half years?
1: Oh no, we knew it wouldn't. Okay. Oh no, no. But at least it would get us out into the Pacific. Okay. And, you know, or a couple of years down there, you know, it would, it would, it would do it for us. Okay. Again, don't forget there were no marinas or anything. You know, the biggest expense that we had was going through the Panama Canal, which was $140. Right. Heck. I mean, but, um, to us, that seemed an awful lot of money. Uh,
0: well, and in night and in 1985, it still was a lot. Of, it still, yeah. I mean, $10,000 is still a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think of that now, and, you know, a lot of people that I talk to these days, you give a, a number, and, and this is just a, it all depends on how you live, you know. But a lot of it people costs. give a, let's say, a two to $3,000 a month number, and so in 1985, if it was, you know, about half of that, let's say, that might work. You know, that that ten thousand dollars might get you a year, let's put it that way. Uh, right. Certainly exactly. certainly not six and a half.
1: No, no, but we, we didn't we told my mom we'd be home in two years, max. <laughs> and the reason we didn't get home in two years was because we stopped and we worked for a year in three different places.
2: Okay. So, so-
1: So, you know, that added, uh, three more years and, and, and things like we did, you know, it took us six and a half years to get home, but we weren't moving the whole time. And, um, we we knew, we knew what we had to do and we were very happy to do it. I mean, it's when you, when you're, when you're out cruising and, um, you're, you're seeing the dollars slip by, you know, and, and we were very cautious about it, but we never missed out on anything, believe Mm me, uh, you're real happy to start earning it again,
0: so I just listened to that entire conversation, that episode okay. oh, half of our conversation again for like the fifth or sixth time, because Pam's stories are just uh awesome, uh but as I was listening to it again i I think kind of the moral or or what I get or the lesson that I get out of this episode is to just go, you know, Pam knew where she wanted to go. And that, and that's why I used that little clip at the beginning of this episode. She knew where she wanted to go. Pam knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to sail. She wanted to be a part of the boating community. She wanted to sail around the world and she knew where she wanted to be in order to start that journey. And she went there. And she made it happen. Uh, and that resonates with me in my, you know, personal position at this point in time because, you know, and, and and I'll be calling Pam and asking her for her services and asking her opinion about, you know, maybe what I should do here in the next uh, few months to a year. And maybe that's what I should do is just sell it all and, you know, head down to Fort Lauderdale or something like that and uh, get myself involved in more of the cruising uh, community. But I think the moral of the story is If you have something, if you have a goal, uh, you got to get to that place where, like Pam did with, you know, nothing, no no place to live, nothing lined up, no job lined up, anything like that. She drove to Fort Lauderdale and made it happen. So just go find that community, find your cheerleaders and uh, start following your dreams. And you can make it work out. If you want to get in touch with Pam Wall, go ahead on over to pamwall.com. There is a contact page over there where you can get in touch with her. Um, Her email is also pam at pamwall.com. You should ask her if you have any questions about sailing, about cruising, about outfitting, about anything like that. Get in touch with Pam. I'm sure she's got a question. She's got an answer for you. Sorry. Of course, you can find all of the links, a lot of things that Pam mentioned in this episode over at sailloot.com forward slash episode zero two eight. You can find all of the resources that were mentioned in this episode over there. Uh, if you have any questions about anything else, about anything salute related, uh, please feel free to email me at teddyj at sailloot.com. Uh, I have not been great about responding to every email, but I try to, and I am going, like I said at the top of this uh, of this episode, I'm going to get much better at that. I hope that is in my plan anyway. You know, if you have any questions about yeah, how to set up a webpage, maybe something like Pam's, uh, head on over to SailLoot.com and click on the Way Anchor page and like i say in almost every episode there's a quick video over there that will help you get started and again fire me an email if you have any questions at all anything about sailing learning to sail cruising or anything else that you want as well in fact just shoot me an email about your sailing experiences because i love hearing those stories of course, you can find us at dot facebook.com forward slash sailloot and on Twitter at sailloot. You can sign up for the sailloot email rally. Uh, if you liked this episode, you can leave a... Uh, if you didn't like this episode, you can also leave a review for the podcast and you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes all over on one page at Loot.com forward slash podcast review. Thank you again for listening. I hope that all of you can find a way to find your sail loop to live a life rich in experiences. I hope to meet all of you out on the water, fair winds, and following seas. Of course, stay tuned. In about a week or so, we'll have part two. Peace and love.